Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Hey, we're back. It's Michael Smirconish with the kids headed back to school. Tis the perfect time of year to welcome Amanda Ripley, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Smartest Kids in the World, now available in paperback. Amanda, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed the book, Father of Four, three of them still in school, and my takeaway, among others, there's really not one secret sauce. That's right. There's a there's a combination of ingredients that lead to the secret sauce, right? Right. Um, and it's not it's not one thing, but it's also not a million things. So that's good. You set out to learn why are some kids learning so much and others so very little from a global perspective. And I thought it was really interesting the way in which you approach this work. You relied on so-called field agents. Describe the process before we circle back to some of the takeaways. Well, I knew from my reporting in the U.S. that if you don't talk to kids, 
you don't know what's going on in a classroom or a school. And I, I found I found that out the hard way. You know, I think I think I know exactly what's happening. I talked to all the researchers and teachers and principals, and and you sit down for ten minutes with the students, and you find out something totally different going on. So I knew I needed students. Luckily, there are tens of thousands of teenagers who every year decide to essentially switch places to leave their homes in the U.S. and and go live and go to a public high school abroad uh, or vice versa and live with a host family here and go to high school here. So these students are not just any students, right? Like they have some some sense of the water they swim in. They they have an awareness at least of how their school and home and, and country compares in some narrow way to their school and home and country abroad. So in The Smartest Kids in the World, we track your research not only through your eyes, but also through the eyes of three in particular students. There's a fourth, but three in particular. That's right. So I wanted to definitely follow a student to Finland because Finland is sort of the utopia that you always read about, about the you know, great education system with all the, without, without all the stress and pressure. So I followed a young woman named Kim who had never left the United States but had this real craving to go somewhere else to see the world, and she raised $10,000 all by herself to go from Oklahoma to Finland. And then I also followed a young man from Minnesota who, you know, in some ways went to the opposite extreme, which is South Korea. He, uh, Eric, went from, from a, a very nice suburban high school in Minnesota to Busan, South Korea, which is also at the top of the world alongside Finland but gets there through a very different and much more grueling path of a lot of work, a lot of pressure on kids, a lot of testing. And then, and then the third student um, that I followed was Tom, who went from Pennsylvania to Poland. And Poland was in some ways the most fascinating because it was in the midst of a transformation that, that Finland and South Korea went through a few decades ago. So Poland was going from below average for the developed world as far as what its teenagers knew and could do in 2000 to above average in 2012, well above the U.S., despite a child poverty rate of 16 percent. I'll bet that uh, Finland and and Korea don't come as a surprise to members of my audience who have yet to read your book, but that Poland does. In Korea, and you write about this, we've all heard stories about that one particular test day where, you know, I think the markets open late, you wrote. You also said that police... Uh, ask people to stay off the road so that the kids who are going to take that particular test have clear passage to do it. When they get there, there's like a pep rally that erupts so that they're cheered on as they're taking the test. But Poland hadn't been on the radar screen, at least not from my perspective, until you wrote about it. No, I think for, for most people, Poland was not on the radar screen because Poland, you know, was a was an underdog in the education uh, league tables. Poland had... You know, still spends half what we spend per per student on average in kindergarten through high school, and Poland was you know struggling to join the European Union and become uh, a member of of the of the European Union that had good jobs and not become the sort of you know stepchild of the European Union. And then they did a bunch of reforms at this in around 2000, 2000. And they weren't sure what was going to happen, and they were big reforms, and it was very controversial. They remain controversial to this day. But what happened was every few years, whenever the 15-year-olds would take this international test of critical thinking and math, reading, and science, and this is a test that's fairly sophisticated that half a million 15-year-olds take around the world in 60-some countries, 
this test would show just a dramatic improvement every every time they took it until now there's a greater percentage of Polish teenagers performing at an advanced level in math than there is in Finland, which has a much, much lower poverty rate and is in some ways, you know, a, a simpler country to manage um, in some ways. So that, to me, was really exciting because, you know, if Poland could do this, why couldn't Pennsylvania? I mean, there, there's just, it's in some ways more comparable to our state. This is Amanda Ripley. The book is titled The Smartest Kids in the World. It's a New York Times bestseller now available in paperback. Amanda, this week our eldest son has gone off to college and and he did well. I won't embarrass him by telling stories about his experience, but something that I took away from your book that applies to what I learned from him and the differences between the United States and these other models, I think is quite significant. Among his classmates, and he went to a terrific private school, he has many, many classmates who are on an Ivy League track, but among his classmates, those who are ending up at better schools, there are a select few who are there purely on academic merit and principle. And there are many, many who are decent. I wouldn't even say stellar. I would say decent athletes who nevertheless were able to make that their ticket to higher education. As I read The Smartest Kids in the World, I, my eyes were open because I realized we are rather unique in the way that we put sports on a pedestal. Extremely unique. I mean, it's not even something, it's so much a part of what we live and breathe in school that I wasn't even looking for it. I mean, I, I just didn't pay attention to it, but the kids I followed, the American kids, noticed it right away that sports were not part of school in these countries. And of course, of course, kids played sports, kids loved sports, but it's separate from school. And, and that has all these implications that I hadn't really thought through. But you know, when I when I surveyed hundreds of international exchange students who have lived in the U.S., nine out of ten said that their American peers cared more about sports um, than their peers back home. And there's good reason for that, as you say. I mean, in some cases, it can help uh, gain admission into college. Very rarely, it can help uh, pay for college. But it, it sets up this kind of false, <laughs> this kind of false. Uh, for kids about how the world will work and how their adult lives will look, right? Because it may help you get into college. It may get you glory and fame in high school, but it is not going to help you after that. And in fact, what we know now is that your ability to solve problems, to reason, to make arguments, to, to be an agile thinker and to continually learn and reinvent, those things are becoming so much more valuable than anything you will ever do on a football field for 99.999% of people, that it is a little bit misleading to our kids in a way, the way that we glorify sports. You know, we spend, I looked at one high school in Texas, and this was actually a, a pretty, you know, low, low performing, low spending high school. And they were spending $1,300 per football, uh, per football player and $600 per math student. Not only do we put resources towards these sports, dramatic resources, but we put time and attention that, you know, just doesn't happen. In Finland, there are no teachers who also coach. That, you know, they figure teaching's hard enough. And in this country, high school principals spend a good, a good portion of their day, sometimes half their day, dealing with sports budgets, sports issues, sports insurance, sports events. These are the kinds of things that distract from the core mission of school, which is already, which is already pretty challenging and which is becoming dramatically more important to kids' futures.
Amanda, here's something else that I learned from the smartest kids in the world, and I promise I won't give it all away for free. I want people to read, especially parents to read, and policymakers to read and appreciate the book. But as I sort of began this journey with you through Kim in Finland, Tom in Poland, Eric in Korea, I thought what we would learn is that there were tiger parents in each of those countries that had a successful educational model, and that is not the case. I know. I thought I thought so, too. I thought, you know, surely, I mean, we know that parental involvement in education matters a lot. And so I, so I sort of figured I would see a lot of parents at these schools in these other countries. And you don't see you don't see parents. I mean, especially in high school, like, that just doesn't happen, much less so than in the U.S. And what I found is that parents were involved in education for sure, but they were involved at home. And that's where your time really pays off. So literally asking your teenager one question, what did you do today? What do you think of something that's happening in the news? You know, what about this movie or this book? That has a very strong correlation in the research with, with raising kids who are critical thinkers, who read, who enjoy reading. But it turns out there was a study of, you know, a dozen different countries in parenting. And what they found is that the more time parents spent doing extracurricular activities at school, coaching, you know, chaperoning field trips, all the things that we as American parents are often asked to do, the more time parents did that, the worse their kids did on this test of critical thinking and reading by age 15, even after you controlled for socioeconomic status and other things. So it's important what kind of parental involvement. And here again, you see a lack of focus often in the U.S. Parents are, are incredibly... Uh, energized. They want to help their kids. They're actually, there's evidence that American parents are more involved than they've ever been in their kids' schooling. It's just often in the wrong places. It's in places that might be fun, that might be satisfying, might be important to community building, but they don't lead to learning. So for me as a parent, it really changed the way I prioritize all the things that I need to do in a given day. I mean, we're all busy and I try to figure out, okay, you know, if if my kid is, is reading and I'm going to read with him, I have a smaller child, that's a good use of 20 minutes. What's not a good use of 20 minutes is cutting out the box tops, the little cereal box tops, and running around the house trying to collect them. And that kind of fundraising doesn't tend to lead to returns on learning. Even the stoner kids in Finland are doing well. I mean, look, in every country has stoner kids, it turns out. You know, I, it's hard to believe. We tend to kind of romanticize uh, kids in other countries or at least uh, rob them of their humanity. We think they're like drones, especially in Asia, and they're not. I mean, kids are kids. This is something that really came through. Every country I went to, there's some kid in the back row of the classroom illegally texting, right? Um, in every classroom in the world, there's a sign on the wall about respect and all the things we want kids to do that they don't always do. Uh, kids all over the world, including in these countries, spend too much time on Facebook, too much time playing video games. These, these are all universal challenges. But what you find is that in these countries, there are fewer kids who are being, uh, who are being forgotten or who are just giving up on the system, who, who just don't believe the system is legitimate. The kids, you know, as, as Kim put it in Finland, the kids seem to to care. They seem to believe on some level, even though they're, you know, they complain about some of their teachers and tests and so forth. They believe that what they're doing all day will lead to a better life. And that connecting of those dots, that what you do in school all day 
will affect how interesting and full your life will be. It's so important, right, to, to helping kids buy into education and to getting the most out of it. And if you don't have that, it makes teachers and parents' jobs much, much harder. In, in terms of, and I, I promise this will be my final subject area, and thank you for being so gracious with your time. In terms of a takeaway for a policymaker who might be listening to our conversation here on POTUS, because there are many of them, Common Core, right? Common Core is a common denominator among these countries that are outperforming us in education. Thank you for saying that, Michael. I mean, I think this is, uh, we are at yet again another historic crossroads in this country where we walk right up to doing something commonsensical to make our, our schools more rigorous and more purposeful and more coherent, which is huge, by the way. And, and, and a, bunch of, a bunch of states are, are now turning against this idea. I still think it's very promising. We still have 40-some states that have adopted more rigorous, more coherent, more consistent standards for what kids should know in math and reading. And I don't know what's going to happen with the testing, which is coming this spring. That's a whole other bag of controversy. I do know that these other countries have almost all done this very same thing. They've agreed upon a list of fewer, deeper, more rigorous things for what kids should know at every grade level. Finland doesn't just do it in math and reading. You can go right now and look on the Finland Education Ministry's website. And in English, they have a huge document that goes through every subject from home ec to woodshop to phys ed, what the targets are for learning. And this is a country that has enormous respect for its teachers' autonomy and creativity. But at the same time, everybody knows what the goals are. If you don't know where you're going, it makes it really hard to get there. So having that focus, that clarity, and that coherence around learning targets is incredibly important. And what we're seeing in in states that have had these standards for a few years, like Kentucky, D.C., where I live, has had them, what you're seeing is that teachers really love them and students actually like them. They find there's less ridiculous cramming for the state tests because they aren't spread so thin. You know, there's more focus. So the Common Core state standards are something that, you know, are not perfect, that need to change. There needs to be more support for, for teachers to be trained in these things. And just like in these other countries, it's a living document. You know, you go back in, you tweak them, you work on them every five or ten years. But having common, clear more rigorous targets for learning is an absolute no-brainer. And, you know, you just, you just, we cannot let ourselves get distracted by our feuds over local control and this and that and testing and all the things that make us crazy. We have to keep our eyes focused on what really matters for learning. Hey, you did well for somebody who didn't really want to write about education. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's funny how these things happen, isn't it? Yeah. It's a great no, book. I'm Amanda, Thanks. I'm happy I'm happy for your success. It's a fascinating read and I hope people will uh will definitely check out the smartest kids in the world. Thanks so much and good luck to your son in college this year. Yeah, thank you for saying that. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. NYBG's brand new online education program, Plant Studio, offers bite-sized courses tailor-made for you. Guided by plant professionals, dig into botany, floral design, landscape design, and more. Online learning your way. Register at nybg.org. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. That's Amanda Ripley, the smartest kids in the world. Can I read to you just one passage that i made reference to you know i am taking all of this in michael in such a huge we way. all should right we we right. all should as as m starts her her um her senior year today when amanda's book came out the headline that it generated was the four million dollar teacher i didn't even bring it up with her now because i felt like i'd overstayed my welcome asking about so many other subjects in the I, book. I think but she enjoyed it. Come I, I on. Just, I just want to ring the bell in people's minds that this is the book that talked about Kim Cahoon, who earns $4 million a year as a school teacher in South Korea, where he's known as a rock star teacher. In that same Korean school model, this is where on the day of the big standardized test, the world shuts down. Let me just read to you two or two or three paragraphs on the eve of the big test eric remember eric was her rotary exchange student who goes to korea eric's classmates performed elaborate rituals the younger students cleaned the classrooms for the seniors they purged the walls of posters and even covered the flag so that test takers would be able to focus on the college entrance exam without any distractions At the supermarket, Eric saw special displays 
of fancy good luck candies for parents to buy their test-taking children. This is their SAT. Uh, Amulets to protect them through this ordeal. On the street, parents filed into temples and churches to offer one last prayer. The whole country obsessed over the test. Korea Electric Power Corps sent out crew members to check the power lines serving each of the 1,000 test locations. The morning of the test, the stock market opened an hour late to keep the roads free for the more than 600,000 students headed to the test. Taxis gave students free rides. That day, Eric took the bus to school as he normally did, but nothing was normal. As he got closer, he heard cheering. Some of his classmates had lined up outside the entrance to hand out tea to the test takers and wave signs reading, Hit the Jackpot. The seniors trudged past them, heads down like boxers entering a ring for a fight that would last nine hours. Police officers patrolled the school perimeter to discourage cars from honking their horns and distracting the students. Eric ran into a boy that he knew who explained that there was no school for younger students that day. Then he and Eric left to go play video games. That's the way they handle the SAT in South Korea. How can we compete with that, Michael? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All of a sudden, everything that Emma's been through seems easy. But, you know, it's not... And solitary. It's not that the TCs (laughs) of Korea are tiger moms. These kids are given great autonomy. That was one of the other eye-openers yeah. in, uh, in this book. So it's a tremendous it's cultural, read. And it's, totally it's, it's just, I think, such the perfect day. Uh, but, but sports are not, you know, in, in America, of course, our sports are tied to our schools. They play sports, but they're not tied to their school model. And it, it doesn't act the way that it functions well, but here. also it's an interesting point that Amanda made is, yes, you'll be a big man on campus in high school. You'll be a big man on campus in college. But the vast majority of kids for whom that is their path to a, a better school than they would have gotten into, that's the end of the road for them. Yeah, no doubt about that. You're not going to end up in 99.9% right. of cases. You're not playing gonna, lacrosse you're not gonna when earn you're 40. A, you're not going to earn a living from it. I just want to push back in one small way and say that I learned many, many lessons on an athletic field that never could have been gleaned from a classroom or any other environment. And, and there I, are and connections made. So for, for sure. There's a lot to benefits. be said. There's a lot to be said for playing team sports. I'm just saying, as I look at my son and you're about to go through this, you, you know, welcome to this world because you're, you're now you going I'm to see this. think I'm so carefully? And you will be, I think you'll be amazed at, at good kids, hardworking kids who are rewarded for all the years that they spent, you know, d- driving to early I'm all, morning. I'm already Sunday. amazed because they're already in. Right. Yeah. And and I, I, I don't know. I, I go round and round right. wondering about the... They have a skill that Emma does not have, so I can't complain. Okay, but that's not the skill for which... Uh, all right, let's let's not even... It's what, no, it's what you've always said about... Um, Please, tell uh, me, what did I always say? Dr. Smirconish. Yeah. About uh, college admissions is like um, casting a play. And they need someone to do the lighting, and they need someone to be in the in the chorus, and they need someone to be in the star starring role. And not every kid is everything. So that you know, my kid can't do lighting, but she can dance. So maybe she'll be in the you know in the dance scene, and that's okay. But they're not even competing with the kid who can do the lighting. Having having gone through this last year, that is what I said. If I had to explain to someone, let me just flesh that out, and then we'll get off it. Fine. 
and we'll we'll, we'll move on and uh, and, and talk do, about something else. Yes. But if I had to share with with parents what I learned from having borne witness to this uh, with our son last Front row year, seat. and and this this is really speaking. This is not speaking to your community college, and this is not speaking to uh, to many many schools in the country. I'm I'm talking now about the upper tier schools in the nation, and you're right. That is an analogy that I crafted. That I now think of these admissions offices as Broadway directors, and here's the here's the performance we are about to put on, and we put it on year after year after year. We need some lead actors. We need some lead actresses. They need to be able to act. We also need some voices to be able to sw- sing in the choir, and we need musicians to be able to provide the music bed for those who will be singing in the choir. Uh, we need some marketing people to market this play, and we need some people who are able to write the handbills that we'll use, uh, that we hand out that day. And we need people to, in other words, there are there are slots that you can identify that need to be filled to be able to put on the performance. Right. And the college class, they approach it the same way, so that you know they're gonna they're gonna need to have x slots for female sports and x slots for for male sports and they're going to need to make sure that they can fulfill those roles and they're going to need some individuals who are gifted academically purely on the merits academically and they're going to need to have some students who are good on their feet and they're going to need to have some students who you've got to think through where does my son or daughter fit in and I'm telling you that to be a generalist puts you at a disadvantage as you are approaching that application process. I'm talking the IVs and their their counterparts. That's the way that it works. Well said. All right. Well, I really, really thought that she was great. And I hope you could tell from the intonation of my voice that I thought there was much, much fodder in the smartest kids in the world. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.